The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. On today's podcast, I'm joined by author and investigative journalist David Nywert. David specializes in the study of the far right. He's written a fantastic book called Alt America, which we discussed on a previous podcast last year. On today's podcast, we take a look at the Christchurch massacre, and we also look at the role of social media in both fueling and pushing far right ideology online. And we also discuss the rise of the radical right in the age of Trump. So it's quite a packed episode. Just before we begin, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing on this podcast, please consider supporting me by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You can go to patreon.com forward slash drycleanercast. If you don't wish to become a subscriber, that's absolutely fine. You'll also find there is a link to leave me a tip. So if you think this episode was worth a few quid or a few dollars, then feel free to leave me a tip. There's a PayPal link if you click on the image of the podcast in your podcast app. And if you don't want to do that, then please leave a review of the podcast. If you're enjoying the content that I make, please share the love by leaving a review on your preferred podcast app. Just this week, we've got a lovely five-star review from Tom Newton4, who's based in Australia. So thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate your review. It actually uh, made my week, so thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And uh, just taking note of you being in Australia, I will have a think about some more Australian content later this year. Just want to wish our listeners happy Passover and happy Easter. And uh, these two episodes will be replacing our usual content that comes out on the 29th of the month. I brought everything early just so you have two episodes for the holiday weekend. I hope you enjoy them, and I will catch you next month on the Dry Cleaner Cast. Thank you again for listening. Take care. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. David, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Brilliant. Well, look, just just for new listeners and people who are not familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm an investigative journalist based in Seattle. Um, and um, I've been doing, uh, I've been focusing on right-wing extremists really since the 1990s. Still, my experience with them goes back to the late 70s, and um, uh, I've written eight books, um, the majority of which are about right-wing extremists, and the most recent of which is uh, Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump, um, I just, I've been, I just wrapped up six years with the Southern Poverty Law Center and I'm now working as a uh, staff writer for Daily Coast. Excellent. Excellent. Well, well, thank you again for joining me today. I wanted to have a chat about the um, terrible events in New Zealand. So on the 15th of March, uh, there were two consecutive terrorist attacks that targeted worshippers at mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. 
And the attack apparently uh, the attack killed fifty people and injured another fifty. And a twenty-eight-year-old Australian man, who was reported to have sympathies and links to white supremacist groups and alt-right groups online, was responsible. So, David, I know you've written a little bit about this. Can you um, are you able to just sort of just share your thoughts and observations on both the event and the kind of the motivations of the killer and and sort of his connections to the alt right and the far right? Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I was in Christchurch just uh, last August, uh, wow. late August. I was there for the um, Christchurch Writers Festival, and um, I was there to you know sell, talk about alt America. And you know, when I was giving the talk, it certainly felt like you know, well, I'm talking to an audience that's not really going to have to deal with this. <laughs> because uh, there weren't a lot of signs of uh, incipient white nationalism in in New Zealand at the time, and certainly not in Christchurch that I could see. But, um, um, you know, I'd actually seen more signs of it in Australia when I was on that trip. So, um, yeah, I was pretty stunned. I, the place I stayed was less than a mile from this mosque, and I had walked past the mosque and... Um, noticed it, you know, at the time because it's quite pretty, and um, yeah, it's it, uh, really. I mean, part of the shock of Christchurch was that it happened in such a place that I mean, New Zealand's never had a terrorist attack, you know, <laughs> of any kind, as far as I know, and um, so it was. It was quite shocking, and. Um, yeah, uh, the, the worst part about it, you know, was that this guy, I mean, he left a, a manifesto for us all. And uh, of course, he, it's, it's hard to get that manifesto now because uh, for good reason, uh, people have clamped down on its availability. Um, but if you read it, and I don't necessarily recommend reading it, it's probably just as well to read people's analysis of it. It's just, it's very much, um, it, it's really kind of in the mold of the uh, classic uh, radical right-wing uh, white nationalist uh, radicalized online uh, and the things that he goes on and on about are the kinds of things, I mean, there's an admixture in there. He's got a little bit of, of uh, eco-fascism, as we call it, in there. Uh, which has enabled some people on the right to claim that he's actually a left winger, um, which is utter utter nonsense. Um, but nonetheless, that was what uh, that was what that's what Candace Owens and other people have done. And uh, um, you know, th there's a whole. Um, but the manifesto itself is is really very similar in content to uh, Anders Breivik's manifesto in 2011 uh, when he uh, massacred those people in Utoya and Oslo. And uh, uh, in that it's, you know, it's going on and on about uh, Islam and how Islam's uh, getting, uh, getting rid of it as a polluting sort of influence in Western society and that sort of thing. Um, the only thing difference is that you know Breivik chose to attack uh, socialists and liberals as the source of the problem, 
whereas uh, this fellow decided to go attack Muslims themselves. And, um, you know, the either way, it's a horrifying thing. And uh, um, it's just the, the, the hard part about all this is getting people to uh, recognize that, you know, the, this is being driven by this ideology that is actually circulating very much in mainstream media. You go watch Fox News, or you go watch Sky News, or you go read any Rupert Murdoch media, and it's just full of this stuff. It's just, uh, and it's hatefulness, and it's uh, it's not utter nonsense. And possibly the scariest part of it was the way, um, the way that we saw this flood of comments from people online uh, chiming in to celebrate. And, um, you know, I saw a video just last week of teenage girls uh, shouting out the name of the, the Christchurch killer and saying they want to marry him. Good grief. And, and you know, a, a blonde woman saying, that was a good start, Brenton. <laughs> oh, my word. I don't even know what to say about that, to be honest. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, no, the, the lack of humanity is just mm. unbelievable. I've witnessed that kind of thing before years and years ago. I went to a um, – I, I sort of witnessed a court case. It was a kind of gang-related court case involving a murder of a schoolgirl that happened near an office I used to work in. So I went along one day on one of the public days. I wanted to just see, in a sense, what a killer looked like. And what was more shocking than the, the killer and his accomplice was the um, – the women who just seemed to be semi-worshipping him and were there kind of like groupies and were just sort of, yeah, it was very strange phenomena. And then you get this sort of phenomena again with uh, with sort of serial killers who have these sort of people who write to them and they end up marrying people. And it's very strange. I don't quite understand that, but that's a maybe a topic for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> the most bizarre thing, I have to say. Yeah, uh, and it is, yeah. that It's kind of one of those sidelines of... Uh, doing criminal work uh, is that um, you do encounter these really bizarro uh, people who get attracted to um, people who are in prison. And it's not just women, obviously, men do this too. But um, yeah, who knows why that happens. But but the more disturbing thing is really the way um, it got kind of shoved under the, the carpet um, by the the mainstream conservatives is oh well this was just you know th- this is just another thing and and certainly we saw that um, this you know in the last week or so with the the uh, hearings in the house uh, last week uh, on hate crimes and the rise of white nationalism um, you saw you had one side the Democrats basically being responsible and and trying to have a serious discussion about the rise of white nationalism and its very toxic effects. And you have had another side completely denying that it's even going on and pretending that it, that it, no, the other side is the one that's violent. And nobody is saying that that this is conservatives. These are, right-wing extremists. And yes, there are uh, conservatives who actually help make their ecosystem work, 
But let's be clear, right-wing extremists are not mainstream conservatives. The problem is that mainstream conservatives cover for them and normalize them. What's the reaction kind of been of, uh, should we say, American gun culture? Because New Zealand took very strict um, measures after the attack, and uh, in many respects, rightfully so. And I know from my observations of American gun culture, it seems to be um, these sort of weird very sort of far-right ideas seems to be slightly wrapped up in American gun culture and is a slightly, I mean, you know, I'm a shooting enthusiast, but it's like there's a very unhealthy attitude with guns that I've seen online. I, I won't say every gun over owner believes this, but, you know, there's a very much a very strange subculture of guns and the kind of the alt-right. And I don't know if there's any thoughts you had on that um, and their reaction to what happened in New Zealand. Yeah, well, part of uh, what, you're seeing there is this what's actually taken place really over the last 20, 30 years. And this is something that the National Rifle Association has very much promulgated. Uh, and it, it is one of the, actually one of the ways that we've seen um, ideas and talking points from that originated in the radical right um, migrate right into the mainstream. And it's this idea that, um, that gun ownership is guaranteed in the constitu Constitution so that uh, Americans can rise up against a tyrannical government if they need to. Mm. That's what we call what's, what's kindly known as the insurrectionist theory of the Second Amendment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it sounds pretty disturbing to us because, at least in European gun culture, it's about sport. It's about sporting. It's about you know shooting. Uh, well, uh, some people go hunting. Some people shoot targets. You know, I don't do hunting, but um, but it, it yeah, that idea that you're arming yourself to protect yourself from the government, I just find that mind blowing personally. Yeah, it's extremely common, and that's why you have all these people here in the states that have not just one or two guns; they have uh, full armories in their basements with with uh, lots of uh, ammunition. This is a very common thing, particularly in rural America. It's, uh, yeah, and it's because they've been getting told all these years that, well, the government's going to come and take your guns, but, uh, you know, you might be able to stave them off if you have an AR-15. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> well, I mean, if the government really wants to do it, they'll just take, they'll send in the Air Force, won't they? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, this is the thing. I, I, I've actually seen, I, I went to one of these gun rallies about three mm. or four years ago mm. when Washington State passed a, a gun control law and uh, the gun nuts went completely nuts and held, held these protests outside the state capitol in, in Olympia. And uh, these guys, I, I've got a video of guys standing up there saying, well, Second Amendment actually means that you have the right to own any weapon you want. If you want to get a tank, you can get it. If you want a <laughs> missile launcher, you can get it. Yeah? That's, that, that, that's what shall not be infringed means. Yeah. You know? And, of course, uh, I've always wanted to ask them, so, you know, because their favorite line is, what part of shall not be infringed, don't you understand, right? That's their line. And I've always wanted to say, what part of well-regulated don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's gun shows, isn't it, where Timothy McVeigh um, frequented. And, and I remember, I think, in a past conversation we had, you talked about the kind of, um, is the word I want, propagation, the, the kind of spreading of Nazi 
uh, memorabilia, like ex-Nazi guns are quite popular, and also sort of Nazi literature, or should we say white supremacist literature, seems to be on the fringes of these gun shows. The radical right has always used these gun shows, um, has often circulated around them, partly both because it's part of the, you know, sorry, cultural thing, but you've got a bunch of other guys who um, often are, are, have, unhealthy fetishes about these weapons showing up at these things, which is part of, you know, a lot of what you'll encounter at a gun show. But you'll also, um, you need to understand that probably uh, half the business that goes on at a gun show doesn't take place inside the show. It takes place out in the parking lots. Guys bring, guys will bring their, their illegal guns, the ones that they've, uh, you know, filed down the, uh, the or done the work on it to turn a semi-automatic into an automatic if they want, or and, and vice versa. I've done all these adaptations, the sawed-off versions, as well as just stolen guns. Um, a lot of stolen guns get sold out of the back ends of cars in these in the parking lots of these gun shows. So there's all kinds of um, illegal sales going on or surreptitious sales going on around gun shows and this is part of the the culture this is where the the radical right has always played a role because a lot of these guys that are in the radical right are convicted felons they they're per, they're not permitted to actually own guns but they will be able to buy them uh, through these uh, these backdoor sales at gun shows and so this is this is part of the commingling of of uh, radical right culture and gun show culture, and you know I mean that was how Timothy McVeigh made his living uh, for quite a few years is he traveled around the country going from gun show to gun show and he would sell these uh, stolen guns that he had burglarized from from these gun shops and uh, sell them out of the back end of his ca- car. Uh, and he actually was well known for mm. uh, handing out free copies of the Turner Diaries to people yeah. who would buy his guns. So it's quite, there's very much a clear link. And do the, I mean, are the authorities able to do anything about this, or are they just not wanting to, or do they? And, and... Well, the main thing that's happened, in fact, this mm. is the law that Washington State passed in 2014, or uh, that. Uh, angered everyone was uh, they call it the the gun show loophole um, and it was a law that basically cut down on the ability of people to sell guns uh, through these sort of backdoor operations uh, it required background checks for all purchases and you have to actually sell your gun through this this means uh, even if you're selling it use it on your own and that was one of the things that it's, and of course, of course, the entire gun nut culture went insane. And they've tried to overturn it, but it's actually stood up to court tests and um, they've just moved on to other things. But yeah, these are those kinds of things uh, always attract really rabid um, interest from, you know, the NRA types. And honestly, the NRA is fairly moderate uh, compared to some of the other um, <laughs> the, the other pro-gun organizations out there, uh, even though they seem 
uh, from an outsider's perspective to be insane. Uh, they actually get attacked from the from the radical right for being too moderate. So that's interesting. Yeah, God, because the NRA do. There are some. God, there's some things I've seen. I'm, yeah, just sort of the um, posters around sort of Second Amendment stuff, and it's just like they kind of have that fine line. Because again, the other thing I've noticed about American gun culture is this, um, is this idea of I call it a siege mentality, where you're protecting yourself from would-be home invaders. Um, and and it, and and I noticed a lot of gun um, advertisement, especially when looking at like uh, Glock or Six Hour tend to focus on that in a lot of their advertisement and it's sort of it seems this weird vicious cycle that everybody is scared of everybody else and has to own you know a gun that's maybe a you know big bullets with lots of capacity you know <laughs> it's, yeah. it's yeah 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 no uh that's literally why um a lot of people um are resist have resisted um gun control in the states is that they make these uh, that you'll hear them, you know, the defenders saying, well, we want to have people be able to defend themselves in their homes. Because, yeah, there is this um, immense fear of home invasion robberies, even though those robberies are actually quite rare and don't happen very often. But, you know, uh, you get a little bit of reportage on them and people just freak right out and run out and buy more guns. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know what good an AR-15 is going to do you with a home invasion anyway, but that's uh, what they do. Yeah, I suppose it will give you free air conditioning in your house. I guess. Because uh, <laughs> those bullets, crikey. I mean, if you had an AK-47 or an AR-15 in your house, those bullets, um, especially American houses, the bullets are going to pass straight through from one side to the other, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, especially the high velocity rounds you get in an AR-15. Yeah, the the yeah, and they get a, you know, the, the of course the thing is just one pop with one of those things and you're down. So, uh, and that's the that of course is the problem with AR these high velocity rounds is that uh, you can't actually use them for hunting because um, the the rounds create, cause so much damage to the tissue of the animal. It's basically, it uh, creates a, a can-sized hole in you is what it does. And, uh, and it, it just impacts throughout the whole body, which is why they're so fatal. That was why so many kids died at Parkland was because they were getting hit with AR-15 rounds. And uh, th those things will just kill you. Um, so, so you can't use them for hunting and, and the idea that, and that's what these guys say, well, I just need them for hunting, but you can't actually use an AR-15 for hunting. The only thing you can use them for is, uh, shoot at FBI agents when they invade your home. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're they're built for warfare. These guns, aren't they? And it's because this is the gun. This is the the AR-15 is the most popular style of gun um, because it's it's a type, isn't it? Um, it looks badass. Yeah, and it and it's it's very popular. It's been in all the major mass shootings in the US um, in recent history. The AR-15 has been the weapon of choice. Quickly, just looking back at 
New Zealand. Um, you mentioned earlier sort of a difference between New Zealand and Australia and the far right. Is there anything you'd like to sort of just say on that? Just to... Sure. Well, the main thing is that I noticed in Australia anyway, they, they have a very active uh, men's rights movement, mm. which is one of the real uh, kind of openings that we've seen uh, for uh, white nationalism to uh, obtain recruits is through the MRAs and through the uh, men's rights grievances. Uh, I certainly saw when I was in Melbourne, um, a very, uh, you know, it was, there was a big demonstration uh, down at the city square involving men's rights people. Um, and it was just like I was back home in Portland and Seattle watching the, the, the ugly demonstrations there that I've had to cover for the last year. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, no, it was, and it was very clear to me that, you know, um, I don't think that Australia has that kind of gun culture that the U.S. has, uh, but I think that they are finding that sort of recruitment based through their men's rights movement, and um, and that's sort of pretty much where I'm pretty sure that that is where Brenton Tarrant came from as well, um, that he originally was radicalized. Uh, about all this through his uh, through the gaming world, and I don't know if you watched the uh, uh, had the misfortune to see the videos uh, that he put online on Facebook uh, while he was committing these murders. Mm. But they they were just like it was like watching a first person shooter game. God. He, he, he was doing it. So. Yeah, no, I personally spared myself that. Um, it's, yeah, it's dreadful. I mean, this is the thing. This is what this is one of the should we say the unique features of this particular mass murder was the fact that he streamed it live on Facebook and and it took I think half an hour for a Facebook user to report it. Um, and Facebook didn't seem to have any measures in place to automatically sort of detect actions like this on their on their service and 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 you know we've been talking a lot about social media and the spread of extremism for some time now and this is you know it taking it to the real extreme pardon the pun there um what are you know because th this came up a little bit in the house committee um uh democratic hearings recently as well and social media companies sort of didn't seem to be very definitive on what they're doing um what are they doing <laughs> about this i think they're wringing their hands and mm. uh i don't think they're even uh remotely serious about this uh the fact that 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 they announced uh that that you know they announced that they're shutting down white nationalists and and white supremacists and um a and then a week later a reporter turns around and says is able to point out to them that you know well there's white nationalist Faith Goldie spewing about Jews on her Facebook page. What are you guys going to do about it? And Facebook actually told the reporter, well, she's not violating our standards. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, once the story hit, then Facebook changed their tune, said, oh, I guess we should take that down. And then they removed Goldie from their platform. Mm. But this thing, there's thousands of these guys out there doing this. And Facebook's not paying any attention to it at all. They're they are totally unserious about it. Partly because their culture is their culture at these at these tech corporations is so built on these uh, right wing libertarians mm. uh, 
so many uh, coders and devs are libertarians and they believe that, you know, well, you should give fascists equal platform on a speech platform, even though they want to destroy everybody else's free speech, right? Yeah, this is this is an interesting thing you've touched on here because this, you know, white nationalist ideas on and and free speech. I mean, it's it sort of um, to me, it's clear cut that you know anybody who's spreading hatred online should effectively have their channel shut down. But for some people, that seems to be a free speech issue, and I'm and I'm always a bit stumped by that. But maybe it's me. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's part of the belief that yeah, uh, that you know, if you have free speech, then then all ideas get ex- fairly exchanged and, and that eventually these bad ideas will get booted out because of the nature of the marketplace, right? But the actual the real nature of the marketplace is that um, people who come in and bully and threaten and intimidate come to dominate that marketplace and... Um, and they are the ones who do then wind up setting the tone of what actual speech is available even in that marketplace. In other words, they're essentially destroying the free marketplace themselves. And this is, it's an age old thing. It's, in, it's not just in the arena of free speech, although the arena of free speech is certainly where we see it the most, but in general, this is one of the things that, you know, when I was first, starting to deal with right-wing extremists and neo-Nazis in Northern Idaho in the 70s and 80s that I had to sort of work out and figure out that, um, you know, people ask you, well, why can't you just tolerate the intolerant? You know, if you're so tolerant, why can't you tolerate these intolerant people? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fairly simple conundrum, but it's, there's a very simple answer which is that tolerance and intolerance and intolerance are not like just opposing ideas. They're like matter and antimatter. They can't exist in the same place. That if you introduce, if you have a system, if you have a marketplace that is, which is our marketplace of ideas that is fundamentally built on tolerance, the tolerance of other ideas then you then it will be destroyed by the introduction of intolerant elements into it, right? Yeah. So, so you can't. It's like I say. It's it's like matter and antimatter. They can't exist in the same place. If you're going to allow for intolerance, and you're going to have a, a really, you're going to have a system that is essentially dominated by those principles of intolerance. If you're going to have a system of tolerance, it has to exclude uh, uh, voices of intolerance. Simple. It's really a very simple matter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, there's been a the House Democratic hearings on hate crimes. We mentioned it a bit earlier. What has um, sorry about hate crimes and the rise of white nationalism? What has come of this? Um, where where are we at with the the hearings? Well, I think they've just had their first round. Uh, I'm pretty sure they have, um, because the what they really wanted to be getting at, at least what um, uh, the chairman uh, Gerald Nadler has said, is that he really wants to kind of uh, get at the question of to what extent is uh, Donald Trump uh, helping to fuel 
this rise of white nationalism. To what extent is Donald Trump uh, helping to, you know, uh, inspire the wave of hate crimes that we've seen? And so the, the testimony we had last week was just kind of scratching the surface of that. Um, I believe that there are going to be more hearings, um, but the opening was not encouraging because um, Republicans were obviously determined to make it into a clown show uh, because they didn't want to have a serious discussion of this issue. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, so they invited Candace Owens and she made it into a clown show. And, you know, that was that was the video that everybody saw out of the hearings last week was was um, Candace Owens popping a cork at uh, Ted Lieu for having the audacity to play her own words back to her. Oh, yeah. The the famous um, Hitler speech. I, mean, I, I remember a while back saying to somebody, if you're complimenting yes. Hitler on his roads, you've something's gone wrong somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, he did. She did that there in London. Yeah, I didn't see it in London, but I, I, I heard about it when it was. Um, when did it come out in January? That story, I think, didn't it? I, the video came out. Yeah, early February, I think mm. the, the video came out that people figured out that she'd said this. <laughs> it's a bit like our former mayor Ken Livingston, who seems to have a keep going on about Hitler um, at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, and what she was doing was, of course, soft peddling what Hitler did. Mm. You know, it was, and and even crazily enough, everybody thought that her response last Tuesday was, uh, was you know, really put Ted Lieu in his place and that sort of thing. And if you go back and listen to her her response, it was actually every bit as incoherent as her original comments on Hitler because she was basically saying that that. You know that well. A, a nationalist wouldn't kill his own people. This is that, that was her explanation last Tuesday. Yeah. Well, you know, I was saying he wasn't a true nationalist. You know, yeah. your basic no true Scotsman um, argument, and and say well he he couldn't have been a nationalist because he killed his own people. Nationalists don't kill their own people, and I'm like. Uh, <laughs> You don't know nationals very well. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> and she also did. She mention that then something on the lines of, but then he didn't play the other hour of my talk, <laughs> which provides the context. You know, if it, if it takes you an hour to provide context to a, a bit you said earlier about Hitler, I think you've got a problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the thing is no, that, and of course, yeah. Her other comment was, "We didn't play the rest of it, and the rest of what she said was actually worse than the first part." <laughs> you know, it wasn't a defense, you know, oh, it, and it was just crazy. But, uh, but oh my God, uh, even on, you know, on Twitter, you wouldn't believe the deluge of people we got mm. uh, from uh, saying that she had totally owned Ted Lou and and uh, that it was. Uh, a great moment, and and in fact, uh, it was their big talking point last week was that Candace Owens had uh, you know scored big at the House hearing. I thought it was totally bizarre because it was like, did you watch the same thing I did? You know, and it kind of points to how um, ultimately, when people have been in this uh, alternative universe that I call Alt America, the 
the, the conspiracy theory alternative universe, uh, it actually changes your uh, your cognition. Mm. It changes what you see and how you perceive it. It's utterly fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting as well is um, in the time that Trump's been in office, he's attacked the press he's attacked law enforcement and they're the two kind of key things that are gonna should we say hold truth to power and hold him responsible for what he's doing and all his followers now you know um they use the term fake news as much as all the critics of trump use the term fake news um and it and it yeah and it it, (laughs) times when you put something online or talk to somebody who's um maybe slightly sympathetic to trump and they're like well what's your source for that (laughs) (laughs) oh dear it's it's there's something gone a bit wrong there um but there we go i mean do you think is it fair to say that the far right, in a way, are using Trump to normalize their ideology. Um, and Trump is, in a sense, um, benefiting yeah, from that. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that is what's going on. Um, Trump has actually been normalizing the radical right. Uh, you know, and after Christchurch, he said, well, I think they're just a small element and they're just very tiny and, and they're really troubled people. And, uh, but but I don't think we need to worry about him. I don't think it's a big problem. <laughs> it was just you know, part of how he normalizes them. Yeah. And yes, he he does the well. I think that or they're totally wrong, and I I totally disavow them. Which of course none of the white nationalists take seriously anyway. Um, I mean that's part of the problem is that uh, he's disavowed white nationalists and white supremacists. I think three times. And none of those three times uh, have they ever actually believed him. Uh, I think the one after Charlottesville, um, which was the sort of second day, his second day disavowal, um, you know, Richard Spencer came out and said, you know, no grown adult would actually believe this, you know. And they, they laughed at it. And and they laugh at the disavowals because they see they what matters to them is the the main signal that he sends through, which is that he's on their side um, and that he is looking out for their interests. And he's never done anything to, to sort of disabuse them of that notion at all. Mm. So, Yeah, we'll talk about his actions. I mean, one thing that seems to have happened in the last few weeks is um, the Trump administration has shut down the Department of Homeland Security's intelligence-gathering section that monitors the far right, and on top of that, he fired the secretary, uh, the uh, the homeland, sorry, the secretary of Homeland Security. Is it Christian Nilsson? Um, and he's also, I mean, there's also talk of um, Stephen Miller to sort of take over immigration policy in America, and there's talk, and there's been, you know, reported evidence that there's a link between Stephen Miller and the neo-Nazi Richard Spencer. So there's quite a few interesting things going on, and can you give us some sort of thoughts on on that? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, Spencer and Miller uh, were buddies in college at Duke mm-hmm. University. Uh, they worked together on the uh, uh, infamous um, Duke lacrosse case. Um, and and publicizing that, and uh, and they held a couple of events around the Duke Lacrosse case that they that the two of them uh, uh, put together, um, you know, and they've known each other yeah since college. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that 
that Stephen Miller is very sympathetic to white nationalism, and, and he's certainly enacting uh, a white nationalist agenda. Uh, to what extent he's actually one of the ideologues, it's hard to say because he doesn't make a lot of uh, public comments, but uh, we do know that he's very authoritarian um, and that he's, you know, uh, really rabid on the issue of immigration in ways that uh, make no sense. But, um, yeah, the... the um, uh, Kristen Nielsen, I mean, really the problem with DHS is that uh, is Nielsen's not the only official uh, position now that's open. I think that like all of the senior leadership in DHS have been fired or left, and there's nobody actually in the department now actually running things at the top who are who've been approved by Congress or um, have there's been any oversight, right? So it's really this bizarre uh, dark area, and a lot of it just has to do with the fact that. Uh, Trump wants the DHS to enact a particular immigration policy that the law prohibits them from enacting. And he wants all these uh, these people who are part of the, you know, involved in enforcing the law to ignore the law. <laughs> so, uh, and it, it, this just kind of gets around to, you know, Trump's authoritarianism. The fact that he does not believe in democracy, that he sees the presidency as a kind of dictatorship, and uh, and it's very much you know it's it's very much in line with the authoritarianism that uh, he has been playing you know down the line in other areas as well. Yeah, and what are the implications of shutting down that intelligence section that monitored the far right? Well, so what, what they actually did was they uh, they took those people, took those positions, and molded them into the larger, uh, uh, put them into the larger anti-terrorism team with the idea that you would have, um, the entire team would be then looking at all kinds of terrorism and not just have a small unit devoted to um to uh, right-wing extremists, separate from Islamists. Um, but the reality is, you know, I talked with Daryl Johnson about this. Uh, he's the former DHS uh, right-wing analyst. He used to head up that unit, um, and now he's in private business. Um, he's, a, he's a consultant on terrorism. And what Daryl says is that, you know, it's that what's actually happening is that you're uh, you're losing the um, the recursion that you need in any kind of effective intelligence operation because now all of the information that is related to right-wing extremism is going to be filtered through the FBI. And when you get a, a sort of monoculture in intelligence like that, it means that you're going to be vulnerable to these blind spots, which is what happened to the FBI and law enforcement in general in the 90s uh, with Ruby Whitbridge and Waco, that they were, you know, they had their, they ignored the dissenting voices that said, 
way you had to treat, um, you know, true political believers like and religious believers differently than criminals, right? That was yeah. the lesson that they hadn't learned in the 90s. And now we're facing this thing where, you know, a situation where the only intelligence source on right-wing extremism really is not, is going to be the FBI, not the DHS. And that's going to leave us vulnerable because mm. uh, they're going to have these blind spots. I, I will say the, the, the FBI has done a pretty good job of staying on top of uh, a lot of the would-be domestic terrorists in the U.S. Uh, they've certainly made some key arrests uh, before some of these events have happened. Uh, particularly the one in Kansas in 2016. Uh, but uh, I am not at all confident that they're going to be able to to catch the flood that's going to be coming at us. Yeah, yeah. Well, one other thing is well, it was recently reported that um, every time Trump gives a, a speech in a town, there's a sudden increase in hate crimes. Is that right? Yeah. No, that's uh, – it, it is pretty amazing. Um mm. The yeah, in the counties where Trump spoke, uh, there was an increase in hate crimes. It's what I said in my book that uh, you know Trump basically took the lid off the national lid, and and all the creepy crawlies came out, uh, and it's like a Pandora's box. You can't put that lid back on. And and I don't. I think we talked about this last time, but remember in the first month after. Uh, Trump's election in November 2016, we saw an unbelievable uh, spurt in hate crimes. Yeah, the first two months, um, about uh, 2,500 of them nationally, which is just an insane escalation. And the remarkable thing was the number of them, number of the incidents uh, in which either Trump's name or his rhetoric. Uh, was referenced, mm. of course, the committing the crime. Either Trump's going to send you back, or they actually use Trump's name to threaten and intimidate people. You know, standing around chanting Trump, 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 and um, or um, uh, leaving graffiti like "Make America White Again" with swastikas. Um, you know, and fully half of the incidents had these references. So that's really remarkable. And, and the, the remarkable thing is that, yeah, are these white nationalists are marching in Trump's name. Uh, when at, at Charlottesville, they were chanting, in addition to blood and soil and you will not replace us, they were also chanting, hail Trump. Hmm. And, uh, and, you know, they're all wearing their red MAGA hats. Uh, and that's how that's how they roll yeah I, those hats honestly i last time i was in the states not long ago i was at the airport and suddenly saw a, a should i call it an american shop <laughs> because we have them in britain where we sell like british memorabilia from like london buses to anything a picture of the queen or anything like that and you have american equivalents in your airports and there were all these maga hats and i was just shocked um, you know, it, it to me the MAGA hats on par with Nazi memorabilia. You know, it's like putting up a Nazi uniform in a shop celebrating Germany. 
It's insane. Yeah. Well, they certainly are taking that that on. And but if you try saying that publicly, then the Fox News types jump all over and say, "Oh, they're just being patriotic." I mean, that was Tucker Carlson's whole segment. The night was complaining about people um, or saying people aren't patriotic anymore. And saying that they want to make America great again is is not considered a bad thing. Um, but yeah, but here's this what yeah the Washington Post story that mm. it was uh, counties that hosted a 2016 Trump rally saw a 226 percent increase in hate crimes. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So um, yeah, no, the and you know if you listen to if you look at the incidents themselves, it's pretty obvious that a lot of people feel that Trump. Uh, has given their permi- them permission to act out in this way. And uh, if you look at Trump's rhetoric, you can see that he has. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, his recent tweets about Ilhan Omar and sort of misrepresenting her words about September 11th, and she's apparently had to take on extra security. Um, and, I mean, there are a lot of people who seem to take exception to her on a lot of levels, and it, it, but it seems to be Trump sort of exaggerating and making that much worse with his tweets. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, is that, that people need to understand what happens. That, that, you know, when we talk about this rise in white nationalism and rise in hate groups, it doesn't mean that necessarily that all these people um, necessarily are... Um, that are actually committing these crimes are actually members of white nationalist groups or anything like that. But they are uh, they're operating in an environment that encourages this behavior. And this is what Trump has done, is that he's really created an environment where these kinds of attitudes and this kind of talk and this kind of behavior is not just uh, tolerated, but actually actively encouraged mm. and yeah they're in a sense this is sort of how these extreme movements work there's a certain level who um make that provide cover for bad behavior um and yeah so there'll be individuals who will go and perpetrate terrible things but there'll be a, a whole group of people who wouldn't normally themselves do anything terrible but they will in a sense provide cover and the example i could think of actually is um you know the okay symbol recent uh, so the okay symbol sort of been taken up by the alt right and turned into a white power symbol and i had some friends a few weeks ago who were taking exception to this idea they were just they were making it out that liberal millennial snowflakes are getting upset with people using the okay symbol and i was saying to them well the problem is that the okay symbol is now being co-opted by white supremacists for this so it's not really the liberals having a problem with the okay symbol it's the fact that the okay symbol's now been turned into something quite problematic and then my friends on who are sharing this thing and having their kind of outrage about millennials didn't understand this and and so in a sense they're kind of providing cover because they were blaming the millennials not the white supremacists and this happens so often yeah yeah well and that's the thing is that they are that's how these things happen is that they're actually devising they're ta- they're finding things i mean it began with pepe and the okay symbol and and milk and it, get they get on 4chan 
and they start having these conversations about, well, uh, you know, and they'll do it amongst themselves to say, uh, you know, use these little symbols, things that are actually have very common meanings, mm. and they are basically co-opting them intentionally, but also, but with the very, the reason they're doing it intentionally is that they want to um, basically troll everybody as much as possible. They want to create so as much confusion as possible. So yeah, they, they will take something like the okay symbol and turn it into, well, it's, it's a secret symbol. And then when somebody says, Oh, you're being a white nationalist for that, and then they just say, "Oh, you're you're just a triggered snowflake, right?" Yeah. But the reality is that they actually, yeah, obviously there are people who still use the OK symbol quite legitimately and with no no intention of referencing white nationalism. But then the Christchurch terrorist, right there in his his arraignment sits and, uh, and fo- is photographed doing the okay symbol. Yeah. <laughs> it came pretty obvious that, you know, I mean, this is what they do. Yeah. Is it? And we have to, in a sense, unfortunately, we have to keep track of all this as, you know, not just you and I, but all of us, because um, these things do change and these groups do, you know, want to use these symbols for, for their own purposes. And um, we've yeah. got to kind of, in a sense, put our outrage in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now it's clowns with rainbow hair, right? That's that's the newest. Oh, I didn't know that one. Thank you. <laughs> What's it again? So, it's, what is it? In fact, their favorite now is a Pepe with uh, rainbow clown hair. Oh um, my word! <laughs> <laughs> oh, in a sense, they're yeah trolling everybody by doing those kind of things, aren't they? Um. <laughs> they are, and it's how they, you know, and 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 the weird part is that it's when you encounter people encounter young people in particular who want to use these, who use these symbols and say, well, uh, aren't you afraid? You say, well, aren't you afraid of uh, being confused, uh, mistaken for being a white nationalist? And they're just, and they will just say, Oh, I'm, I'm just being ironic. I'm not really, you know, uh, (laughs) they don't seem to understand. And this is part of I think actually part of the recruitment process is they get these kids to to use this stuff ironically, you know, and what it really is is, of course, transgressive humor, right? Yeah. It's the stuff teenagers love to do where they they love to push the boundaries and seem like they're, um, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna be as racist and hateful as I can because I just want to uh, trigger somebody. But, but you don't realize that when you're doing that, you're actually following into that belief system itself. That, you, you know, you may say you're being racist ironically, but A, it doesn't matter to the people who receive it. There's, you're still being racist, mm. right? And B, uh, eventually, the ironically is going to go away. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can use this stuff ironically, but when you do you're basically identifying yourself with these beliefs in a way that makes you sympathetic to them. And eventually you're going to, it's not going to be ironic anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't end well. Ironic humor. It usually ends up, especially when people, if enough with popular culture, people watch terrible content. Ironically, that just leads to them making more terrible content. But anyway, 
Yeah, well, it's it is like conspiracy theories, Chris. As you know, I mean, what is one of the things that actually happens with conspiracism uh, is that a lot some people uh, sort of start dabbling in them as a form of amusement, mm. right? Mm. They, it's oh, it's entertainment for them. I'll just uh, I'm interested in, and it's kind of fun. And then next thing you know, they're full on Q and honors. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, <laughs> talking about conspiracy theorists and maybe people wanting to push the boundaries, Alex Jones, um, he's of Infowars, is currently in this. He's being sued, isn't he, by the victims of the families of the Sandy Hook massacre. Um, and he's been questioned about his conspiracy theories in relation to Sandy Hook. And he's claiming that he's suffering from a form of psychosis to explain both his beliefs in Sandy Hook and pretty much all his beliefs. And it's just like, is unbelievable. Do any of his um, followers take that into account now? <laughs> That's my question, I suppose. Is, is anybody um, thinking about that? Um, if he does actually have a form of psychosis, personally, I don't believe him, but he maybe he does. I don't know. But if, have you been following that case um, with Alex Jones? Yes, very closely. Um, yeah, I'm personally hoping that these parents are able to put Alex Jones out of business because mm. they should be able to. I mean, the, the hell that he has put those families through, um, it's just inhuman and, and really just mind-boggling that, that you could send, that you could create the situation where people are calling up um, parents who have lost their child in the most horrific way imaginable and harassing them in their homes yeah. by claiming that their child never existed. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it still boggles my mind that that can take place. Mm. So I'm, I'm really glad that they are taking him to court because, uh, hopefully, yes, hopefully they'll take him for any penny, every penny he's got and put him out of business because he shouldn't be able to slander people that way. I mean, that's the way the law is supposed to work. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a restraint against people being able to do that stuff. And it has failed. So it's about time that it started working as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, yeah, his Alex's claim that he was – well, it, it, the interesting thing was that his psychosis, you know, was, according to him, was brought on by the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that. But, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. It's the media's fault that he's that crazy because they're so unreliable and they lie so much. Um <laughs> So, so he's he's putting a conspiracy to explain his his mental breakdown, basically. Essentially, yeah, yeah. That um, you know, it's that is his thing, and the reaction that I've seen so far has been very similar to what happens when uh, in, with the white nationalists when Trump makes his disavowals. They don't actually believe it. Yeah, they say he's just doing this because he has to do it in order to survive this lawsuit. Um, right mm. Mm. rationale that they tell themselves um, and because it's one of those it's almost like this cognitive thing with with like with Candace Owens you know once once their mind is made up once they've decided that this is what what is actually going on once they've adopted this narrative and internalized it mm. uh, it's really really difficult for, to 
to get them to change that internalized narrative and to recognize, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that, that, you know, all these people should be realizing is that they're being conned, that they're being manipulated by a con artist. Yeah. Right? But you know how it is with, with Mark. So the, Mark is the last person to admit they've been conned. Yeah. With Alex Jones, well, there's a massive. I would love to know how much he's made uh, money-wise out of conspiracy theories because he used to back in the day. He used to have a subscription model where if you paid, I can't remember what it was, X amount of mo- money per month, you can get access to all his videos and other things. Um, then on top of that, he sells the kind of weird alternative medicine stuff. Um, and then, uh, he's, he's also got other things. Uh, I can't remember the things like, I don't know, for survivalist kind of items, like yeah. uh, meals ready to eat and that kind of stuff. And that whole, and he, and he must've made a fortune and on top of that YouTube. He must've been making money out of YouTube because Infowars content, um, and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like YouTube is just full of conspiracy content. I could be watching a music video, and you know how when you're watching something, it cues up a whole list of five other things that are somehow related. And I bet you there'll be a conspiracy thing somewhere in the the videos they suggest as next. And it, it's shocking. It really it is. is. Yeah, and you could be watching a video on whales, and you'll yeah. get conspiracy theory videos. It's astonishing. Yeah, and that is, and this is really the the issue, isn't it? That that in a lot of ways these platforms aren't being, uh, or you know, they 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 say, well, well, we're trying to do these things. Yeah, yeah. YouTube has gotten rid of Alex Jones, but guess what? Infowars still has a channel. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, and yeah, uh, maybe Alex Jones himself can't be on uh, YouTube, but now uh, he's being hosted by. PewDiePie and uh, who was it recently? Jordan, uh, uh, oh the, the the young guy, the one who decided that the Earth really is flat. Oh man! Uh, do you know what? I can <laughs> definitively now prove the Earth isn't flat. All you have to do is watch these videos where people send food into space <laughs> on a weather balloon. Um, so if you if anybody's listening who thinks the Earth's flat, get a GoPro, get a weather balloon. Stick it on the weather balloon, send it up, put a tracker with the GoPro so you can get it afterwards, and then you'll get footage that will prove the Earth is not flat. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the Illuminati intercepted it on the way up. But anyway. <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Honestly. But yeah, so, so Alex Jones has sort of found alternative platforms now, has he? Well, yeah. And well, or what he's actually doing is uh, he's appearing as a guest. Uh. on these with these people who have huge numbers of, of followers and the reality is that before uh, back in uh, what was it we just found out that youtube admitted that if they had followed through on the platform changes that they were uh, preparing to do in 2016 mm. um, that alex jones would have been the number one paid guy on their platform wow um, he would have been far and away their most popular, but then uh, they didn't make they ch- didn't follow through on that and instead decided to ban him. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, well, if you look at it, 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 this is the thing that that you know for YouTube, what YouTube cares about and what uh, Twitter cares about and what Facebook care about is what they call engagement. 
the amount of time you spend on their website, right? Basically, that's what engagement is. Mm. And so what they really care about is that once you're done watching that video, there's another one queued up that's going to grab you, right? Yeah. And, and the what they have found, what their statistics showed time after time after time was that the videos that would lead to the most engagement were the most controversial ones. The yeah. Ones, uh, the ones that seemed the most crazy and out to lunch. And that, so it, over time, conspiracy uh, theory videos became absolutely the number one driver for YouTube's algorithms. And that has never actually really changed. Because what, what they, what really makes money for YouTube is crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we're seeing the consequences of it, not only with um, obviously the rise of the far right. We've had, um, is it in, in New York, um, there was an emergency relating to, was it smallpox? I can't remember now. Um, measles. Measles. Thank you. It was measles. <laughs> Honestly. California. Yeah, and that's because of this sort of anti-vaxxer nonsense that's really popular, um, crazily popular, actually. Um, yeah, it's madness. Just back to what we talk about with um, social media, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier with the social media problem, is in a sense of how the key people behind social media who run it are of this libertarian mindset. I think it's really interesting. Well, I, I just think... You know, libertarians tend to think of ideas as just being sort of these, they're like inert objects. It's, it's like a physics experiment for them, or, you know, you're, you're dealing with chemical elements or something. Mm. And so the more you can just get these ideas to rattle around, the better everything is. But it, it really fails to acknowledge that that some ideas are more toxic than others, <laughs> you know? it does, It fails to recognize that... Some ideas have the are, are actually about um, destroying the entire marketplace of ideas, and that the, when you start, the, you know, and that that's something that they don't ever grapple with. Uh, they're too busy reading Ayn Rand, I suspect. I don't know, <laughs> but but yeah, and it's and it's one of those things. It's also where we get a lot of these, uh, I think, really calloused attitudes about the effects of uh, this rhetoric on human beings. Because, uh, I mean, if you read Atlas Shrugged, the, one of the key scenes in it is uh, a train full of people goes through a mountain, uh, uh, travels through a mountain uh, tunnel, and the tunnel collapses and kills everybody on the train. And I spends the rest of the chapter going through the people who are on that train and why they all deserve to die. <laughs> it's 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 sick and twisted, and that's the sort of thing. And and that's the thing is that that you you'll get this response from them that well you know these people all had it coming, you know. Yeah, yeah. They, they have a very cold, calculating attitude about human life itself, and I and I think that that is really at the root of what's wrong with so much of libertarianism. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I don't think that human connectedness, that human empathy and basic decency are values that they think um, are valuable. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, just my mind wandering about on that pondering. I just 
is it because, and, I, and I'll put it in a generational box here, so anybody sort of, should we say, from 40 down to in their 20s now, is it because we, so as generation was that, generation X and millennials and the one in between if there is one, is it because we haven't personally experienced fascism in our lifetime? And we've obviously, we've seen the movies, but we've not really experienced it. Do you think this is why it's coming back and is it because also then the older people who do have fascist tendencies are manipulating younger people um and are now exploiting our historical disconnection historical ignorance maybe um i just find it fascinating i really do and i'm and, I, and i'm trying to work out in a sense why and i'm i'm also amazed as well people like people of my dad's generation who are very right wing seem to not understand what fascism really is and so when we say terms like oh you know trump's nazi or fascist they seem to think we're exaggerating and i find that really interesting and i'm just trying to kind of get my head around it and understand it i suppose <laughs> Well, a lot of that has to do with actually the way that, especially in the States, mm. uh, that fascism was conceived as it was, um, in many regards, it was kind of a caricature and very cartoonish approach to fighting the Germans during World War II. And, uh, yeah, and then afterwards, everything they stood for was considered sort of the, the root of all evil, but... Um, you know, it, the truth is that that a lot of fascist uh, principles, uh, fascist ideas, had their origins in the United States. Everything from Lebensraum and um, you know, the, the, ultimately the genocide of, of the Jews was was inspired in many ways by genocide of Native Americans in the United States. Um, the Nuremberg laws were basically uh, uh, predicated on Jim Crow laws. Um, the uh, SA, the, the brown shirts, uh, were very much modeled on the Ku Klux Klan. And so there's a lot of American ideas and a lot of American threads that run into fascism. And now we're seeing those threads sort of reemerge. And this is the part that that Americans have difficulty understanding is that that those threads were always part of fascism and they were always part of America. We always wanted to kid ourselves that fascism could not happen here, but it very much can because fascism is about decaying democracies. It's not about it's not about uh, necessarily the, the values of what it actually promotes. So. You know, and Americans have just been very arrogant about the the idea that their democracy is going to last forever. You know, democracies can be attacked, and they can be undermined, and that's certainly what is happening to us now. Um, and and I, yeah, it is it is very unfortunate that, um, you know, I think a lot of Americans didn't really actually even understand fascism at the time that it happened. Um, now. In in England, it's you were a lot closer to it, um, obviously. Mm. <laughs> and 
and of course there were always fascist elements even in, in britain oh there were definitely and and i've got an episode about that coming up soon um but it's um if, interestingly to quote hitler <laughs> um apparently he was shocked that britain didn't join with him during the war because he was a real um anglophile apparently um and he was surprised that britain turned against him um so that's i don't know that provides some insight <laughs> well right remember he was he was friends with uh the former king yeah yeah uh, and so yeah no that was um yeah and there always were yeah there were those familial connections between <laughs> i mean the british royal family was german <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> So there, yeah, uh, there were a lot of reasons that he thought he would be able to um, uh, be able to convince them, and you know, Lord knows Oswald mostly tried, but um, yeah, uh, there a lot of reasons, same reasons fascism didn't catch on in the UK were similar to the reasons they didn't catch on in the states, which has to do with the the political space that they were able to occupy already taken up. And um, there wasn't, you didn't have the sort of chaotic social circumstances that they had in Germany and Italy at the time. Um, so, yeah. So, timing. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, our ancestors paid for this in blood, and then it seems to be just coming back without any second thought about it, you know, and it's just amazing. It really is. Um, you know. It's like conspiracism in the way mm. that that we're able to convince ourselves that, that something that happened isn't real. Uh, you know, all of the Holocaust denial mm. that's going on for the last 60 years has, you know, really finally come home to roost in the fact that I think something like 30% of Americans uh, don't believe that the Holocaust was real. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the whole problem, is that, that people get this idea that, oh, it's all just fake. And, oh, these Jews are just, you know, they're just uh, claiming victimhood for themselves, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's mad. And this is, in a sense, a lot of the Holocaust survivors were worried about that, weren't they? And that's why so many of them have sort of um, tried to relay what they experienced. And it's actually it's truly shocking. I mean, just, yeah, looking at any of the documentaries or imagery around the Holocaust, the better sort of pretend it didn't happen is just unbelievable um but i you know i've met people who do yeah people who think the earth's flat and the holocaust didn't happen and it's like and it seems to be um a slippery slope once you start getting into conspiracy culture and i can tell you that from my own experience as a former conspiracy theorist you start to doubt 9-11 you start to doubt other things too um and it's just it's yeah it is a slippery slope it really is you start to end up in capricorn one territory if you're not careful so you know. right no it's actually quite rare that uh people only believe in a single conspiracy theory mm. most of the time they believe in a variety of them so uh, they they have these interconnections that they see and uh yeah it's it actually comes to form their very much their worldview and how they the world that they operate within. It's 
And it's uh, very problematic, obviously. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I think we probably should wrap up in a moment. So I suppose, do you have any, is there anything you'd like to, do you have any final thoughts, anything we've discussed, or is there anything you want to talk about that we may have missed that's important to you? Well, the, the main thing that I've kind of been on about this week is uh, pushing back on um not just uh, the, after the so after the House Judiciary hearing on hate crimes and white nationalism, we've been getting a real pushback from the mainstream right, um, from Tucker Carlson. Uh, and they're all keying off of what Candace Owens said at the Tuesday hearing, but Tucker Carlson, Rush Limbaugh, Michael Savage, and a bunch of these guys are all, have all been going off on uh, claiming that. White nationalism is it's it's just a tiny movement. There's hardly anybody out there that's actually part of it, and um, that oh yeah, we might have a, a massacre or two happen every now and then, but it's really not a big deal. It's mental, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just you putting it that way is just mad, isn't it? <laughs> it's, oh it is, my word! Um, but yeah, no. Well, actually, of course, they don't ever mention the massacres, no. but they just say oh. You could, or what was it Carlson said the other night, that, you know, you could walk through, you could spend all your whole life in America and not ever meet a white nationalist. And I just went, oh, man, you have no idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here watching one, so why would I? That's <laughs> 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 the thing. A lot of these guys that, that are um, denying that the reality of white nationalism are themselves very much participants in this tide of white nationalism because they normalize it they 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 rationalize it and and you know carlson in particular is quite notorious for um promoting their agenda on his airspace he did the thing about south africa he talks about how immigrants are trying to replace americans all the time and blah blah blah, blah. i mean all these white nationalist talking points and then he goes what me who, me, a white nationalist? You know? <laughs> well, I've never, I've never been so insulted in my life. So it's like, well, dude, you know, the foo shits. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And I think we need to be sort of ready for that in the coming year, uh, having to, to fight back against, this tendency, and it's it, it's happening in the mainstream media too. These with the tendency to minimize and normalize uh, white nationalism, and pretend that it's not a, a problem, and uh, all we need to do is look at Christchurch to see that it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I, I, Republicans are trying to turn say this is a democratic talking point and and i've and and it's not it, it goes beyond traditional democratic and uh, sort of democrat and republican politics this and i think you know really anybody in the gop who is supporting this or, or turning a blind eye to it really needs to take a long hard look at themselves because it's uh, it's unbelievable what's going on on their watch at the moment well it, it, and the ironic thing is that i can tell you from experience mm. that Democrats are actually really very chicken about mm. this as a talking point. Mm. They, 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 you wouldn't believe how many liberals I know have pushed back on this. Also, that you know, I, I did a post for Coast a couple of weeks ago where I said uh, we 
Democratic candidates really should make uh, white nationalism and hate crimes a major uh, issue in the coming 2020 campaign. And I got all these uh, mainstream liberals pushing back saying, oh, no, we don't want to stir up the white people. We don't want to make make it into an issue of us versus them. I think that that, that was what contributed to the 2016 loss and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, it, it's just ultimately it's this kind of cowardice mm. that's uh, going on. But but at least they held the hearing uh, and and brought they actually had some very good uh witnesses there to talk about the problem, uh, though they didn't have any of the real experts who I would like to have seen up there. Certainly they need to get some people from uh, Southern Poverty Law Center and uh, from the Center for the Study of um, Extremism, which tracks hate crimes. Mm. Those people also need to be heard from. but And I'm sure the, eventually they will. But... Um, yeah, it's still astonishing to me how many uh, mainstream liberals are really kind of afraid of tackling this issue because they they believe that it will result in a in a uh, pushback that will hurt us electorally. Um, and I just uh, to me that's just raw cowardice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I it's just. I don't know, uh, claiming, yeah, claiming that this is going to be the Democrats' campaign in the coming years is pretty funny, because it ain't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As much as it likes to be, yeah. and as much as I think it should be, yeah. uh, saying that the only reason the Democrats are talking about this is because they want to make it a campaign issue, is uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> One quick thing I wanted to ask you, actually, was if you have any insight into what Steve Bannon is up to in Italy at the moment. Well, he's, uh, yeah, what's the the name of the monastery up there and outside of Rome, Tivoli or something like that, Yeah, uh, that he's planning to build an academy for uh, right-wing fascists. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I guess uh, they would have some thoughts about that in Italy. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know how seriously you can take him because I actually get the feeling that his his um, his financing is is not there as much as he wants you to think it is. And I don't. I don't think he's as wallowing in money the way he is to the extent he is. But you never know. I mean, if you've got somebody like Peter Thiel backing him up, then he probably does. So, um, yeah, it's re- say because that's a really murky world that he's operating in. We don't know where he's getting his money, but he's obviously getting it from somewhere. Yeah, um, he just—he's starting to turn into a Bond villain. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, you know, it, the way he's described is like he's up to something somewhere in this layer. Um, <laughs> he's just starting to slowly turn into a Bond villain. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, really, it, it is. It's like <laughs> Mr. Blofeld and his kitty cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, when we see Steve Bannon with a white cat, um, and it, 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 then we need to be worried. I expect you to die, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. Um, where can listeners sort of find out more about you, your work, um, and uh, engage with you? 
Well, uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just David Nywert, N-E-I-W-E-R-T. And, uh, or you can uh, read my work at Daily Coast. Um, that's just dailycoast.com. Excellent. Excellent. KOS. KOS. Yes. Yeah, KOS. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much, David. Thank you very much. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know.